Did you bring your textbook tonight? Amen. Good. I'm glad you brought your Bibles tonight. It's good to have your textbook when you come to class. It's important. We're studying the book of Acts, um, a great book, amazing study, and I'm I hope it's encouraging to you and, and uh, continue to build in our foundation of our faith and understanding. There are so many things that are happening in the book of Acts, a lot of things that are firsts in the Bible, transitional periods, um, births <laughs> that we see happening. Um, it's just amazing to see how God worked and how God continues to work today. But let's, have a, let's go ahead and look here um, and uh, read verses. Uh, let's start in verse number one. Notice if you would. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come... They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they, all, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speaking in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Now jump, if you would, over to verse, the end of verse 11. They said, We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God, and they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would just continue to work in our life. Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us to uh, have your Holy Spirit right here with us, within our hearts, in our life, your person here with us. Lord, I thank you for your power. I pray, Lord, that you would help us tonight to uh, faith to grow. Um, for us to be strong in what we believe, and Lord, that we would just um, allow for you to have uh, free reign in our lives and our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, I want to review a little bit. We've been looking at the church ablaze, um, the study of the book of Acts, and uh, tonight we're, we're looking on our third part, final part of the question of what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And when we see what happened here and what took place, we see the question posed there in verse number 12, where it says, what meanest this? Many people were there. You remember we're talking about Pentecost. Uh, many people from all over the known world that, had been, um, that were Jews, they came. Um, they, they were hearing them speak in their own language. They were amazed by it. Um, it was an amazing thing. And uh, we know that, that one thing we know for absolute certain is this. God chose this specific day on purpose. It was prophesied. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. Um, it happened at that exact moment in time because God had, had designed it to be that way as one of the feasts. I'm not going to go back and look at the feasts again like we did the last two weeks. But on that appointed day, the Holy Spirit came. And the unfortunate thing is, is this, is that there are many that teach the baptism of the Holy Spirit as something that uh, the Holy Spirit, beyond and separate from, in addition to salvation, it happens afterwards. It's something that is in addition to. And they also believe that certain, there's physical manifestations, and when a person is filled with, or baptized by the Spirit, that they have some outward manifestation. And for many, it's speaking in tongues. Um, we've talked about that. I, wanna, I don't want to take too much time with review on that, but understanding why we're looking at this, why it's important that we understand what the Word of God says, because there's a very much false teaching on this. 
And so once again, what do we do? We need to go to the Word of God. What does the Bible say? So what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Let me review the main points, and then uh, we'll jump in where we left off last week. The first thing we looked at was the promise that was made of this baptism. Who was the one that, at the commencement of Christ's ministry, had proclaimed the fact that Jesus was going to baptize with the, um, with the Holy Spirit, with fire uh, of the Holy Ghost? Does anybody remember who that was? Yeah, Kathy? Yeah, John the Baptist. We looked at four different scriptures. We saw that John the Baptist, he was speaking of that. And when that day happened, it was the fulfillment of prophecy. And at the commencement of Christ's ministry, we also see there that, um, that Jesus Christ, he spoke of it as well. Um, excuse me, at the conclusion of his ministry in chapter uh, 1 of Acts, verse 5, it says, For John truly baptized with water, this is Christ speaking, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days thence. And so here we see now this is going to happen. What John had, the Baptist had prophesied, what Jesus Christ has promised, of course it's prophecy as well because it's before it happens, but it's going to happen because he says it's going to. It's going to happen very soon. And so um, uh, we, we looked at that. And we see the main thing that we were pointing out by that was this. It hadn't happened yet. There was no baptism of the Holy Spirit yet. Nobody had received the Holy Spirit as what Christ had said was going to happen. He says it's going to happen, though, many days uh, hence. So it's going to happen in the near future. So, But that being said, I want to jump right to um, the third point tonight and pick up where we left off last week, and it's this. I want us to notice tonight the purpose served through this baptism. What's it for? Why was there a baptism of the Holy Spirit? What's the reason for it? What purpose does it serve? So... When we turn to the New Testament, we discover that this baptism, number one, is something which is constitutional. Constitutional. Now, I want you to take your Bible, hold your place there, but we're going to be looking at a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 many times tonight. I want you to kind of look there, if you would, in your Bible and hold your place there. We'll be jumping back and forth, but if you would, look, at, if you would, at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Was, the, was Paul an apostle? Yes, he was. Paul was an apostle. Who is an apostle to? The Gentiles. Okay, good. All right, and not, obviously, we know he says that, but specifically, just because he was an apostle to the Gentiles doesn't mean what he says did not pertain to Jews as well. When I say Jews, I'm talking about those that were born as a Jew either by, by birth or in Judaism by religion. And so this, is, this application that we're going to look at here is not just for Gentiles. This is for everyone. And Paul said there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, he says, For by one Spirit are all baptized into one body, whether we be, by, be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. He says, For by one Spirit... That word there, one, it, by, that word by, actually, when it says by one, it could be in or with one spirit. And, and understanding what this is talking about, kind of, when, you, when you say by in our language and understanding, it's talking about in one spirit or by one spirit or with one spirit. And so Paul is stressing that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a baptism into what? One body. What body is that? Okay, so the next question. What is the body of Christ? The church. All right, so if we just look at it exactly what it says, it's very plain. It's not difficult to understand. And you know, all of us sitting here in just a few moments, we just answered the question of what this is talking about. 
And so we need to understand that the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God is a baptism into the body of Christ. Into the body of Christ, into the church. So what happened on the day of Pentecost was this. These believers, they're, okay, let's look at it as units. Believer units. Here they are. They're individual. Okay, there's calling on. You have apostles. You have the disciples that are following after Christ. You have the 120 that are in the upper room. You have those that are doing exactly what Christ They're tarrying. Um, the Holy Spirit was going to come that day whether they tarried or not, but they were doing what Christ commanded. And so there they are, and on that day, we see what happened. These believer units were constituted as a spiritual body by the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. And thereafter, by this baptism, everyone upon believing in Christ is incorporated into the body. That's what this verse is saying. And every person that gets saved is incorporated into the body of Christ. Did you notice here that this baptism is not connected with our state as believers, but our standing as believers? Not our state, but our standing. We need to understand that. It's our, our standing. Literally, the word baptize means what? What does the word baptize mean? To what? Immerse. Exactly. To immerse. Figuratively, and we talk about this every time we have a water baptism, figuratively, it means to be identified with. It's an identifying so it's, it's showing that you have already, guess what it's showing that you've already been done, that's already happened in your heart? What? True. But what are we talking about here? When they get baptized with water, what, what is it showing? They've been baptized by the Holy Spirit of God already. Not at the moment of this water baptism, by the way. It happened at salvation, at that exact moment. This is, something, I, 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 this is something for me in my life that I've looked at these things and I've struggled with it a little bit. And this, this, for me, when you look at it, it's plain, and you throw everybody's ideas and things away and you look at exactly what the Word of God says, it becomes very plain and clear. A person gets baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit of God. That's what Paul says right here. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're free or slave. And in those days, there would, have been, there would have been different class systems of people. It didn't matter whether you were rich or not. It didn't matter what name you had. Um, that would mean a lot in, different, in our country. That doesn't mean a whole lot. But in man, in some areas, it would mean a ton. And, and we're all made to drink into one spirit. Um, and so we are baptized into the body of Christ. And so it says that, we're, that he says, that, look at it again here. He says, for by one spirit were we all baptized into one body. So when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, he identified these believers with their glorified head, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he formed the body, which is the church. He identified them. That was an identification that they were being identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. By one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. And so the baptism of the spirit is when God's spirit takes a person and places him into the body of Christ. That's exactly what happens. And so look, look how it happened. Go back to Acts chapter 2. And we're, we're going to come back here to 1 Corinthians in a moment. Look what, look what happened here in Acts chapter 2 again. Look at verse number 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And so these were the signs of the spiritual arrival. They were signs of the Spirit's arrival, I should say. Wind and fire. 
Wind and fire, symbols of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, last week the question was asked, what is the fire? What's the significance? We're going to get to that in a minute. But we do see that, 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 that in a general answer to that, we always see a picture of the Holy Spirit being fire. Um, the Bible talks about not quenching the Spirit, putting a fire out within us. Okay, We're going to get to more depth with that in a minute. But I want to start with that awesome sound it talks about. It was a sound like a wind. And not just any wind, but a sound like a mighty rushing wind. A, 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 I mean, it, completely a, like a sound of a rushing hurricane. You ever, you ever heard a, a sound like a tornado or something? I don't know if you ever heard anything like that. I've never, I've, I've heard it, but from a distance. Um, up in Canada one time, we heard it. We were trying to get back in the house and found out there was a tornado that hit uh, a few miles away, but you could hear it. In that we were, it. It's in an area like there's a valley, and you could just hear it being magnified, the sound of it. Can you imagine what it would have been? Now, remember what's happening here in Jerusalem. It's Pentecost. And they're in the upper room and this thing takes place. And yet, make the connection. Where are the people that are hearing them speak in tongues? Tongues, languages, in their own language. Or speaking and them hearing it in their own language. They're outside. It was noised abroad. What's going on up there, man? They're hearing all this taking place. It's a mighty rushing wind. They hear this, this and then all of a sudden they begin to, to speak, and they're hearing it in their own language. It's just an amazing thing. And, and it, it was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. In verse 2 it says, and suddenly it happened. That's interesting. No word in the Bible is there by accident. Suddenly it happened. The church was born suddenly. It came into being instantaneously. And by the way, the rapture of the church is going to happen, and it's going to happen instantaneously. And so God has the sovereign right to determine when the church begins and ends, and it beginning and ending have nothing to do with anyone's prayers. Do you realize that? Now, oftentimes we'll say, oh, Lord, come quickly. Do you think God's going to come quicker because you pray that prayer? No, he's not. He has his appointed time. God has an appointed time that he's going to send his son. The Bible speaks of that. But... It, we see here the very beginning of the church. There's an awesome sound, and then there's the awesome sight, all right? We hear something in one sense. Visually, we see something. Look at verse number three. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. The cloven tongues that sat on their heads weren't actually fire. They appeared, the Bible says, to be like fire. And this was a testimony that each without exception, had received the Holy Ghost. It, it was on all of them. All of them received it. This was the baptism of the Spirit, and they all partook in it. And the Holy Spirit identifying these believers with their glorified head, the Lord Jesus Christ, and forming the body, which is the church, is what's going on here. In fire, it's a wonderful picture of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to just spend just a few moments kind of looking at this, the, the idea of fire. There's a lot of different things we can look at, but I just want to give three concise ones tonight. And, and so the first one is this. The Spirit is like a fire in and, and, and that He brings God's presence. The picture of fire in the Bible is a picture of God's presence. The Bible talks about God being a consuming fire in the book of Hebrews. Can anybody think of other places in the Bible where God is, is demonstrated by fire or he's, His presence is shown by fire? Just raise your hand if you know. Okay, when they left Egypt, a pillar of fire by night. Absolutely. What else? Yep. Okay, the burning bush. Exactly. And, and, and so we see a picture of God's presence. Literally the Shekinah glory of God and that being there with his people. And so the fire in, in, that was a, a, 
a picture of God's presence. And so the Holy Spirit is the presence of God as he indwells the heart of the believer. We literally have the presence of God within us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says this, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So if you are a child of God, you've been born again, you must have the Spirit of God or you're not. And so the Holy Spirit of God is within us. God is with us. In the Old Testament, God showed his people and, and guided them. And in what we talked about, Numbers chapter 9, verses 14 through 15, the tabernacle there with fire, God directing them. Um, it, it presence uh, providing light unto them in, in Numbers chapter 9. In the New Testament, God, he guides and comforts his children with the Holy Spirit dwelling in our bodies. What is our body? What is your body? The temple of the Holy Spirit of God. The temple. Picture once again, it's a, it, there's correlation, you see that with the Old Testament. God guiding, the Holy Spirit is within us. The presence, the Shekinah glory of God is literally within us. We are the temple of the, the living God, the Bible says. We are a tabernacle. The same picture, the temple, the tabernacle, all is pointing to the exact picture that you see with the children of Israel when they had the tabernacle in the wilderness and eventually the temple. When you had the Holy of Holies, when you had the Shekinah glory of God, now we have the, all of that literally within us with the Holy Spirit of God. And so it's a picture of God and His presence within us. Also, the Holy Spirit brings God's passion. It creates, the Holy Spirit creates the passion of God in our hearts. It's interesting, after the resurrection, there's two disciples that are traveling, and, they're, uh, uh, and as they're talking, after seeing the resurrected Savior, they describe their hearts as burning within us. Burning within us. After the apostles received the Spirit at Pentecost, they had a passion that they had not had prior to that. Remember what Christ said would happen in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? After you receive the Holy Ghost, you, you, you're going to be witnesses. It's a passion that is within us. It's a burning passion within us. And so it's something that we ought to... That's, that's why the Bible says not to quench the Holy Spirit. Let it burn within us. Let that passion burn within us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love of God, letting the fruit of the Spirit show, be shown in our life. Thirdly, He brings purity. The Holy Spirit does. Purity. He produces the purity of God in our lives. God's purpose is to purify us, according to Titus chapter 2, verse 14. We talk about the blood of Jesus Christ, and that is definitely required for the, for the remission of sin. There is no doubt what can wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, we say that, that's nothing but the blood of Jesus, because we're saying you can't be good enough, you can't be religious enough. But when we talk about the actual purifying, the Holy Spirit is involved in all of that holy work in our life. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the actual cleansing and is, as far as the, the sanctifying, the cleansing within our heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 says this, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. A picture of being sanctified, of being purified. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the what? You see it? Are you all following with me? Sanctification of the... All right, you guys aren't following. Now, when I read verses, you've got to watch the screen. You've got to follow along. It's not, it wasn't up there? Is it up there now? Is it not in there? It's my fault. 
You guys are off the hook. Sorry. <laughs> I messed up. Big E, you're off the hook, man. <laughs> oh, I missed one. I'm sorry, guys. Okay, I'm glad, unless you knew that by heart. I'd have been amazed if you had done that one, all right? But we are bound to give thanks always to God. No. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There he goes. Okay, next verse. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the, that's what I asked a minute ago, of the Spirit. Sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. All right. It was an easy answer, but I didn't help you guys out much, all right? And so his fire cleanses us. It's a refining fire. It cleanses us. And so it's a picture of the fire of the Holy Spirit of God. Um, it, it brings God's purity. It brings God's passion in our life. And it shows God's presence in our life. And there's a lot of other illustrations. I could, there's literally a lot more connection. But that would be, in a, in, in a nutshell, to answer that question, the significance of that. And so... We see something that happens here when we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit that, that is constitutional. It's something that, that is actually laying a foundation for the church. And then we see something which is initial as well. It's initial. Uh, there is a sense in which the baptism of the Spirit is historical. And there's a sense of the baptism of the Holy Spirit which is personal. All right, We need to understand that. We have a historical event that took place. Yet we also have a personal event that took place. We have to make sure we differentiate between the two. They still are the same, but yet we have to understand that. And so it's always associated with the idea of initiation into Christ, into the body of Christ. It's a personal thing. But historically, it is the birthing of the church. It is the giving of the Holy Spirit of God. It is a transition that's taking place, a great transition we've talked about. Um, and go back to 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Let's, let's kind of break this down as we think about this historical and personal 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been, I mean, and have all, been all made to drink into one in Spirit. And so when we look at it from the historical, something historical happening here, Paul says, for by one Spirit. For by one Spirit. Now what's he referring to when he says that? Of course, we could talk about individually, but what he's pointing back to is the actual giving of the Holy Spirit of God. He is pointing back to Pentecost as the occasion when all believers were baptized into the body of Christ. At that exact moment that took place. One commentator put it this way, he said the baptism of the Spirit was strictly speaking something that took place once for all on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost will never be repeated. People that pray for Pentecost to be repeated do not understand what Pentecost was. They don't understand it. They are, they're misinterpreting it. Pentecost was a, something that took place once for all. It's a historical event. That's why I'm saying it's a historical event that took place. It was when God gave the Holy Spirit. What had to happen for the Holy Spirit to come? Christ had to ascend. He had to leave. After the payment was already made. All of the, 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 you look at everything um, prophetically and all pointing to Christ and, and Christ dying and him paying the penalty of sin and then Pentecost and all the different um, uh, uh, Old Testament when they, when they celebrated Pentecost and all of it was a picture of what the Holy Spirit is going to come and a picture of, of, of already counting on the harvest that God is going to provide. 
And the Holy Spirit is, is, is the seal that seals us under the day of redemption. Every one of us, we have the promise from God. We celebrate that promise that we, are, we have the blessed hope. We know that we're going to heaven. And the Holy Spirit is what we celebrate that, knowing that God is going to keep His Word. And the Holy Spirit, so we go all the way back to Pentecost. And we see it was something that was historical. Now it's something personal as well. Um, these words have to be taken from the re- reference or blessing of that we received as Christians. At the moment of salvation, we received the Holy Spirit. It's a personal thing. Another commentator, he said this. He said, The apostles' baptism in the Spirit occurred on the day of Pentecost when the body of Christ was initially formed. The Spirit baptism of people since that occasion has occurred at their conversion. But in each case, it has been when they were divinely incorporated into Christ's body, their baptism in the Spirit being the means of that incorporation. Okay, bottom line, what this? Instituted historically, personally though, when a person gets saved, they are baptized by the Holy Spirit of God at that exact moment. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that is them being put into the body of Christ. Being part of the body of Christ. So you see, from God's viewpoint, now think about it this way. From God's viewpoint, have you ever been lost? We're talking about predestination now. Exactly. God is eternal. We're bound by time and space. God already knew who was going to accept Christ as their Savior. We've already talked about that. I've always talked about that. Did you realize also that God already knew who was going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit of God? Same exact people. It's connected. It's the same thing. So historically, it's an historical event that took place for all of mankind that have trusted in Christ their Savior. Personally, it's something that happened at the very moment of salvation for us personally. God already knew you were going to do it. Now, that's where my mind gets twisted when I start thinking. I, I have a finite mind. I can't think the way God does. But as far as God's concerned, it's always been and always will be. Now, I say always been, and I'm, I'm trying not to be loose when I say that. I'm just saying God knew. It's in the mind of God it always has been. God knew that you would trust in Christ. God knew that you'd have the Holy Spirit. God knew that you'd be his tabernacle here on earth. God knew. And so that's something historical that God instituted at that moment at Pentecost. But then personally, it's something that happens within a believer at the moment of salvation. Thirdly, it's something which is universal. Look at verse number 13 again there. He says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Paul says, For by one Spirit were we all. Now, who is he speaking to here? Now, I know generally he's speaking to us because it's the Word of God to us. But who is he speaking to specifically in writing this epistle, this letter? Who? Anybody? Come on, help me out. The church at Corinth. That's 1 Corinthians. It's not a hard to answer question. He's writing to the church at Corinth. And he's specifically saying to them, for by one body are we all baptized. Now, there's a general sense there, but he's writing it specifically to them. All right? So historically, it's writing it to the church at Corinth. Now, let's think about the church at Corinth. Can you describe the church at Corinth as just a great church, man? Just one that was on fire for God. and People are being saved by the, by the busload. <laughs> yeah, buses. They didn't have a bus ministry? That's terrible. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, I mean, what kind of church was it? I'm running out of time. You guys got to help me here. 
Yeah, carnal church, absolutely. Let me just give you some examples. In verse 10 of chapter 1, it says they were quarrelsome and divisive. In verse 3 of chapter 3, they were carnal and walked as men. In chapter 5, verse 1, they were guilty of gross immorality, terrible immorality, I mean horrible, stuff you shouldn't even talk about. In chapter 11, verse 21, they turned the Lord's Supper into an orgy of eating and drinking. That's the kind of church we're talking about here. All right? So, yet, of these people, Paul says, for by one spirit were we all. They were a carnal crowd, yet they had experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. So let me ask you this. Now, why am I making this point? Not that we should continue in sin that grace may abound. That's not the point. That's not the point at all. The point is, is this. If this baptism brings you into higher, a higher plane of Christian living than what happened at Corinth. Right? If this baptism is literally like what many would say today that brings you to a higher plane of Christian living, what happened at Corinth? It should have changed them. It should have been something that had been required. They would not have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit living like that. If it was dependent upon my living, boy, aren't you thankful you're saved tonight, not, not because of the good works that you did? See, we have to connect the two together. Baptism of the Holy Spirit of God is salvation, and salvation is the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. They're connected at the very moment of conversion. It's not something that happens afterwards. It's not something that happens in addition to. It's not something that, that is um, uh, for those that are living a better, holier Christian life. And so <clears throat> when you answer that question, let me ask this question. When was I placed into the body of Christ? You all know it? When were you placed in the body of Christ? At salvation, when you were baptized by the Spirit of God, Right? If you can answer that question, then when was I baptized with the Holy Spirit? At salvation. It's all connected. And I'm trying to make this on purpose. I want to make sure we understand because there is a, there is a false teaching about that. And so the, the current view, when we look at it, and we, we see that people talk about having to seek it, having to tarry for it, having to ask for it until they experience it. Is that proper teaching? No. It's not proper teaching. Something is wrong with that. That teaching is unscriptural, and in the spread of it has brought many people under bondage. I know people that have been taught this teaching. It's just like the church at Galatia, churches of Galatia when Paul says, Who hath bewitched you? You've been set free from the law, and now you put yourself back under bondage. I've talked to so many people that have this type of teaching, and I can give you names of different teaching. The apostolic believe this. A lot of Pentecostals believe this. And they, 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 they say that they've been saved and I've been, I trust in Christ, but I have to do this and do this and do this and do this. And they say, unless you've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you've not been baptized by water because that's part of your salvation. And then you have to be baptized by the Holy Spirit of God. There should be some type of outward thing that shows that. Now, let me just say this. There is truth to the fact that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There ought to be a change. And there is truth to the fact that the Bible says that we ought to test our faith and see whether we're part of it, whether we're in it. There ought to be a time in our life when we were born again. And the, the, the good news is that when you were saved and when you were born again, when you trusted in Christ your Savior, you were baptized by the Spirit of God, you became part of the body of Jesus Christ. You were made that because of what the Holy Spirit did within you. He has sanctified you positionally. 
You know what that means? Somebody tell me what being sanctified positionally means. Anybody? I talk about it a lot. I've preached it many years. Positional sanctification means as far as God is concerned, I'm absolutely perfect. I'm saved. I'm His Son. I'm on my way to heaven. My sin is no longer on my account. Jesus paid my debt. I, uh, if you want to put it another way, you can say that my, uh, what's that song about, I settled it long ago? Yeah, that's positional. Practical sanctification, though, is a continual washing of the world. In our life, continually being sanctified, being set aside, being allowing the Holy Spirit of God, that fire that burns within us to purify us as we're studying the Word of God, as we're living as a Christian, there, there ought to be practical sanctification daily in our life. You know what? You ought to be more like Christ today than you were yesterday. Every day we ought to go closer to Christ Having his mind, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Having the mind of Christ and having the Holy Spirit of God within us, that, that burning fire within us, doing its work, his work. Don't, I, sometimes we say it, I don't mean it. It's his work. It's a person of God, the Holy Spirit within us. And so we don't have to pray for it. What we need to pray for is, um, God, please forgive me. That's the kind of prayer we need to pray for. We need to pray that God would give us strength, God would give us wisdom, that God would give us direction. And if, well, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah, we need to get things right, but that doesn't change whether or not you've been baptized by the Spirit of God or not. It doesn't change whether or not you're a child of God or not, if you've truly been born again. We need to understand that. <clears throat> Just a couple more points I want to make here. The New Testament believer was never told that they must be baptized by the Spirit. Look at it. Search it. Never does it say that they were told to be baptized by the Spirit. They are told that they have been baptized by the Spirit when it happened. It was a thing that happened. The connection, you've got to make the same connection with our salvation. Nobody ever said I had to work or gain my salvation. I simply had to believe, and when I believed and trusted in Christ as my salvation, it was something that was done, not something I had to do. Same thing with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You never see that in the New Testament a believer ever being told they must be baptized by the Spirit. He said that they would be, and they were. You never read the New Testament that just some have been baptized by the Holy Spirit either, and others have not. Rather, all believers have been baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ and brought into a union with him. Now we know that in the Acts we see it happening and the time frames and there's, there's, there's a delay that took place with the Gentiles and the Samaritans. We saw that. We looked at that last week. But when you get into the actual um, later epistles, it's, it's, it's now, it's past the infancy stage now. It, it has been birthed. That transitional period is done. And Paul talks about one baptism, whether you're Jew or Greek. He connects it together there. And so when we look in the New Testament, there's not just some that are going to be baptized. Anybody that's trusted in Christ as their Savior are, are brought into union with Him by the Holy Spirit of God. We are all one in Christ. We don't have to go about seeking to create a unity either. They always talk about trying to create a unity. Listen, that unity, do you realize it's already there? It's already there. What we need to do is let it be complete control in our life. Let the Holy Spirit of God have all of us. It's never the question after you've been saved, are you going to get baptized with the Spirit of God? No, that's not the question. The question is, are you going to allow the Holy Spirit to have all of you? That's the question. That's the challenge that we look at. Now, for some of you, you've never been faced with this question. I have. 
You've never had anybody that you've known personally that was being taught this false teaching and they've tried to get you to doubt your salvation because you've never experienced and they'll say you haven't because you haven't manifested it in some outside way by speaking in tongues or being slain in the spirit or whatever, getting the jerks, whatever you want to say. And that's true stuff that people have, have done and said. And, and so they'll try to say that you're not saved because of it. It's a false teaching from the devil. It's nothing more than work salvation and twisting the word of God. Salvation is free to us. It's a gift that God gives us. I never had to be good enough to receive it, and I can't be good enough to keep it. And salvation is connected, and it's one and the same. Now listen, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. They're the same. It didn't happen with the disciples that way. We already talked about that, because the Spirit hadn't been given. Why had the Spirit been given? Because Christ had not ascended. It had to happen. It had to fulfill prophecy. We're making transition from the Old Testament into New Testament, New Covenant, the church age. Transition of time that happens. And the day is going to come when that trumpet's going to sound. Just like that. All the salt and the light of this earth is going to be taken in the rapture. That's, you know who that's going to be? It's going to be us. Those that are saved. If we're here. If the Lord, tear, if the Lord um, comes back while we are still alive. And that's going to happen. Of course, the dead in Christ will rise first too. So there's hope, there's hope for a lot of people there. I'm just joking. <laughs> I heard a joke like that. I don't I better leave that one alone. Um, but, you know, it's, it's going to happen. And when that moment happens, I can't imagine what this world's going to be like without the Holy Spirit's presence in his tabernacle here on earth and God's people. It's going to be removed. And so amazing what we see here. And, and just I hope that encourages you. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that we would not quench you nor grieve you. Lord, that we would allow you to do your work in our life. We know positionally we are already sanctified. We're set aside. We belong. We've been sealed. And Lord, I pray that we would allow your work in our life, Lord, that we would be cleansed every day. We'd have a practical sanctifying in our life, that we would live a life of holiness because you are a Holy Spirit. You're God within us, the power of God in our life. And Lord, I pray that we would surrender ourselves to you and be empowered by your spirit and the fruit would flow from your spirit in our life. I pray, Lord, that you would just work in our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would stand strong. Thank you for making it clear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and, and uh, share some prayer.